Hello and welcome to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And the other guy. And the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) We should do that next time. I should say, we should do like a two Ronnies where I go, um, it's that guy, James. And then you say... It's that guy, Jake. Yeah, yeah, it works. That's good. I like that. We could do that. We'll we'll, we'll change it up every so often. Anyway, hello, everybody. Uh, Thanks for putting up with us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a nice cold winter's day. Um... Weather's nice. Uh, I can see loads of planes flying, which means people must be going abroad again. <laughs> yeah, that, that's happening. The world's gradually waking up again. Oh, it's great. Which is nice. And uh, we are back today with our third instalment in the Lethal Weapon series, uh, Lethal Weapon 3. 3. Um, I want, we've made it. I want to start off by asking you a question about it. Um, so... Mm-hmm. There's a thing with the th- with the three, right? In in all other Richard Donald, even when I search Lethal Weapon three, I have Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon two, Lethal Weapon four, and then Lethal Weapon three comes up as Lethal Weapon I I I, like the Star Wars Roman numerals. And yeah. then when you watch Lethal Weapon three on the box, it's got a three, but when you watch the film, it's got a flaming three on the floor made out of petrol. It's all a bit yeah. strange. Like, yeah, like, just like pick really... one. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't decide, could they? They couldn't make up their minds. So, but yeah, it's definitely the third one. Whether you're yeah. going with you know uh, regular characters, Roman numerals, it's number three. We they they did three of them so far. We they did another one as well, but this one <laughs> uh, is the one we're looking at today. I uh, it was released in 1992. Uh, another Richard Donner film uh, produced by Joel Silver. Uh, IMDb rated this 6.7 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 60% overall score. I uh, I don't know. I feel like that's quite low, actually. I I really enjoyed Lethal Weapon three. I said this to you the yeah. other day when I saw you. <laughs> like I kind of strapped in for it, and uh, it starts with that wonderful Eric Clapton sting song. Um, and then yeah. and then it kind of kicks off and it it's the budget's gone up. It there's a lot of bombs oh. and explosions and there's a lot of cats and things. The, yeah, yes, the budget for that cat must have been enormous. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I genuinely like. You can tell it's the nineties. You can tell we've we've moved on a bit from the. I guess I don't know how I describe it. I guess if you go back and watch Lethal Weapon One, which is the classic film. It yeah. obviously defines the franchise because it's so it's so memorable and so good, but they've taken out a lot of the heft and weight. Um, they've taken away. I mean, I know you've made a point before to me about the fact that the villains and the plot always is always revolving around something that's intriguing or something that's happening. So in the first one, we get yeah. the uh, the people that have come out of the war. Uh, they were in the Vietnam War and then they are working normal jobs, but some people are still clinging to their. Uh, Vietnam War past and obviously Driggs is um, is very traumatised by his experiences and there's a lot of weight behind it and then the second one you've got the uh, apartheid and the South Africans and there's a lot of weight behind that and then in this one it's kind of mad it's kind of like they've just gone don't worry about all that stuff let's just have fun with it yeah it's like this this is this is sort of we're just going to make a film about early 90s LA yeah and all the stuff that happens in that is what's in this film. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, it is. It's it's more geared towards being a, a blockbuster kind of film, and I think as well I, you can almost tell because it's it's not set at Christmas time or anything like that. Have you, yeah. Did you notice? Yeah. So it's there's not. no. Uh, so this is this is not written, as far as I can tell, not written by Shane Black. Based on his characters, but it's written by uh, Jeffrey Bohm and uh, Robert Mark Kamen. Mm-hmm. So slightly different writers this time around. Yeah, slightly but, different vision. Um, it's it's still got that same feel, and I think that's a hundred percent down to how strong Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are as those characters now. Yeah, three and, and... films in, they're really settled in. 
Yeah, and I think that really shows, like, the film doesn't waste any time for um, dwindling audience members who haven't seen previous installments of Lethal Weapon. Like, he drops in, we've got the intro titles, then boom, the car pulls up, Riggs gets out, Murtar gets out, and there's a bomb in a building, and begin. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no pretense, there's no... Like, I said to you before, there's always a sense of, with sequels and... And, and especially sequels that take place a long time after originals like we're getting these days, there's always that thing of having to get the band back together in the first act and then you build your plot around the fact that these two characters have got together. Now, I imagine if we do do a Lethal Weapon 5, or if they ever make one, yeah. it will be... Obviously, it won't have Richard Donner because he's passed away, sadly, but it will have that thing of, I think, they'd have to make a reference to the fact that maybe Riggs and Murtaugh have both been away for a long time and, and then they have to come back together and they're too old for this shit. But, like, yeah, I, feel, I felt with this one, they didn't do any wasting of time. They just went straight into the plot, straight into the explosion. Uh, you've got this great scene at the beginning where um, Riggs and Murtaugh are trying to basically defuse a bomb. Murtaugh <laughs> drops in very early in this film that he's going to soon retire. Is it eight days till retirement? Yeah, at the and beginning he's like, of the film, he's only got eight days. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. And, 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 and Riggs is trying to sort of convince him that it's okay, it's fine, there probably isn't a bomb in here. Pro- and when Murtaugh finally agrees to go in, Riggs is like, you're all like paid up on your insurance and everything, right? Because there might be a bomb in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's the bit where he's like, let's just wait for the bomb squad, wait for the bomb squad, wait for the bomb squad. And he's like, oh, God damn it. And he's gone in. Um, <laughs> and then there's a line that I just loved. And this, this this film, again, is so quotable, like the other two installments. But um, he says, he says, look, Griggs, only me, you, and this cat are dumb enough to be down here. <laughs> and then he says, let's just go upstairs, wait for the bomb squad, and have a little cappuccino. Yeah. It's, it's just... That that sort of constant banter and uh, Riggs looks over this massive bomb in the back of this car and says, you, "You're not going to miss this." Yeah, <laughs> it's no, so no, good. No, a little bit. It's like, so yeah, it, it's like you say, those characters we're so familiar with them now. You don't need that setup. They're just they're there. They're in the moment, and you're yeah. just along for the ride straight away. Um, so yeah, they you kind of think, well, obviously they're the good guys, so they've got to defuse the bomb. Um, Riggs cuts the wrong wire, doesn't defuse the bomb, says, grab the cat, run. And then they have to run outside, and there's like comedy moment where, I guess, it, obviously everything blows up, the building collapses, and hopefully there's no, there's no, there's no loss of life there, but... Yeah. Um, they kind of play that for laughs, and then they get demoted straight after, don't they, to um, to beat cops on the streets of LA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they get uh, they get the demotion. They uh, they're literally at the point that the building collapses. They're hiding behind a car just as the bomb squad roll in, <laughs> and and they, and you can tell it's early nineties because the bomb squad isn't in sort of some in you know heavy armored vehicle or anything. They just roll up in a pickup truck. Yeah, they which did. I quite like. <laughs> it's I, just like ah, oh, it's, it's a pickup truck. It's fine. Going back to what you said as well about the um, product of the time kind of thing is that. Obviously, we'd had the LA riots either just before or I thought you were just after this. You know, the the tensions between the minority communities of LA and and the police were really high. So I think it was really clever that you've got these through lines where Murtaugh's going to retire. Um, there's a, there's a character uh, who is a friend of Murtaugh's son who's now. Um, it's like a, a, he's been set up as basically a gangster character who's doing something yeah. he shouldn't be doing in his sort of lowrider and it's all very generic but uh, and you're yeah. like oh I wonder if Murtar's child's going to get involved if this is going to be like a gang thing and it doesn't it, obviously it pays off but it doesn't pay off in the way I kind of expected it to and then you've mm. got the bit with the guns the, the, the premise of this film um, at the beginning an armoured truck gets raided um, a bunch of goons get arrested and then one of the goons works for a man called Jack Travis. Yeah. And Travis is selling um, smuggled arms or arms that have been confiscated by the LAPD and locked up. He then steals those arms and then sells them back to the criminals, right? That's about right, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. So basically, he's he's aware where uh, of the sort of police practices with the, this weaponry because it should get destroyed. And uh, I think... Um, uh, 
Rene Rousseau's character Lorna mentions later they should have gone away and become a paperclip or you know anything but a gun. Mm. Uh, so that's what you know the guns will be melted down, but Jack Travis knows exactly where to go to get them prior to that happening, and then he's he's reselling them on on the streets. Um, so it it's a I like that this film keeps things local. This, this isn't sort of like an international thing like the previous films were sort of the bad guys were international bad guys yeah and this is just someone who used to be one of them doing a bad thing and they're having to stop the bad thing from happening and the bad thing's just happening within la um so it feels almost like a a a tv episode yeah um, yeah smaller smaller scale but with a great a great driven plot that becomes i guess it becomes personal because the fact that he is a copper and he has influence over other coppers and stuff so that works quite yeah. well in the film um yeah uh, lorna cole played by rennie russo is the is she from internal affairs i think in the film she's yeah a, she's like a special agent for internal affairs investigating corrupt coppers and she says there's sort of a little bit of um what's that tv show is it line of duty or whatever that was yeah. Very popular in the UK. There's kind of a lot, there's kind of an aspect of that to this film as well. Yeah, it, it's it's got it's got that classic thing of you know who who investigates the cops you know and no one likes the people who investigate the cops at first and then eventually you realise actually they're just there for the bad cops the good cops seem to be able to get away with pretty much everything yeah. and she joins in in a lot of really questionable things later on in the film so. Uh, obviously everything's okay at the end this is a 90s film james and like many 80s and 90s films there is a thing that i i think i said this to you the other week that you just would not get away with in modern films and this is the idea of lorna cole's character rennie's character is a, a police officer she is internal affairs she is very high up she has a very good job she actually is very badass in this film as well because we learn that about yeah. her later when she's fighting the bad guys um but what you have to do in 80s and 90s films which is really repulsive i, I guess because you're looking at it from the prism of being in 2022 and looking back at this film why mm. why does she have to be a sex object from for Mel Gibson? Do you know like yeah. I I just think that was the bit where I kind of fell out of love with it because I kind of said to myself, "Oh look, she's a police officer and, and Riggs is trying to hit on her." But the joke is going to be that obviously she's just not bothered about Riggs because she must have seen hundreds of lads like Riggs in the police force and she's fought the establishment. She's a female police officer. She's become internal affairs she's climbed the ladder she's going to yeah. be immune from that kind of bullshit and then and then she just sleeps with rigs <laughs> so i'm like yeah. oh it kind of made me feel a bit like let down by the writers yeah i think they they kind of they they kind of get away with it uh to an extent because of the the way they they play it as a, a joke later with uh between uh rigs and Murtaugh, where Murtaugh thinks it was uh rianne that rigs slept with yeah yeah. So I think that's sort of how they get away with it, but the, it it does feel weird. It's it's possibly because Shane Black wasn't as heavily involved in this, but there's no mention of Riggs's wife mm. in this film. Yeah, he's he's wearing his wedding ring throughout the film, but the other films he definitely, obviously, is very caught up with what's going on with his wife, and there's no mention of that. Partly, I guess, because this is a slightly more light-hearted film. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess um, they kind of addressed that in the second one when he found yeah. out who killed her. Um, so yeah, so it's it's quite it, it it is a cliche the way it's done, but they they do almost get away with it, like I say, because it's the way it's sent up later in the film with mm. that fight between Riggs and Murtaugh is just brilliant. It's one of my favourite bits of the film. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, she's she's a she is a badass character in her own right, and it didn't need to happen the way it happened. But without spoiling it, it makes sense in the next film. I uh, we get the introduction or reintroduction of Joe Pesci's character Leo Getz. <laughs> Whatever you yes. want, Leo Getz. Leo Getz. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that tag. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's so stupid, but the character obviously did really well in lethal weapon 2 so they've kind of cashed in on it haven't they and you see this a lot in modern movies as well when you have franchises when one character unexpectedly takes off and then the writers and producers have to really struggle to find a way of writing that character back into a plot that doesn't need that character anymore yeah um but i think they did a really good job with leo i i love 
I just love seeing Joe Pesci, especially Joe Pesci in a comedy role. Um, yes. I think he's wonderful. He's, he's brilliant. And it's, I, I love the way, because we're sort of introduced to him as a, a property manager now, a realtor, isn't he? He's trying to sell the Murto family home. <laughs> yeah, why? And, I don't understand why. <laughs> well, the, the, when he when Murto retires, he's going to gonna move away. But why would you trust somebody who's you know is guilty of fraud? Why would you trust that person to sell your house? I don't get it. I like that it's he's just, got a, a new hair, a hair, new hairdo. He's gone blonde. Yeah, yeah, platinum blonde. He wasn't it's, platinum it's, blonde in the last one, was he? No, he wasn't. And I don't <laughs> think he is ever again. <laughs> it's just this film. It's just, this film he decided to be a blonde, uh, blonde Leo gets, and it it just it's brilliant because he he goes through the film asking people if if they've seen his face on his adverts and things like that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, uh, it's it's just really sort of self-absorbed still and trying to trying to get the most money out of Murto, telling him he's got termites in his house and things like that. <laughs> I remember that just, bit. <laughs> just great, just a great turn for for uh, Joe Pesci and um he's he's how they get the uh, the lead on uh, on Jack Travis. Yeah, that, he? that he does serve the plot, doesn't he? Cuz yeah, cuz he used to hang around in the criminal circle, so he knows Jack Travis from um yeah, from arms from arms deals and stuff. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was fine. Um this is then we lead on to them going to the baseball game cuz Travis watches no, they sorry, the ice hockey game. Um yeah. And Travis has exclusive seats for the ice hockey, which Leo used to have to procure for him. Uh, mm. And that's how we, we find Travis. And then Riggs does this fantastic thing by trying to find Travis in a group of like 100,000 people, just puts the um, Tannoy on and says, Travis, you're surrounded. And then when everyone yeah. else sits down, Travis is the only one stood up so they can see him. I thought it was really good. I like that. It, it's, it, I love that, that scene. It's... Uh, when I was reading through it, it, they used it as a weird fact. You know, we we looked mm. through for trivia, and so I I didn't put this in in our five facts later. But it's the only Lethal Weapon film with a scene that takes place at a sporting event. Oh, <laughs> so there's that, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a really you bored yourself with that quote, didn't you? Yeah, that it was just. It was one of the worst little trivia notes I've seen. It's like, yeah, because well, yeah, it's the other one. It's the only film that has any sport in it, so fine. Yeah. Uh, but it is a great uh, bit where they're running across the ice and Riggs is getting battered by hockey players, um, and uh, <laughs> somehow Leo's managed to jump on Jack Travis's back. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how, but. For some reason, Mel Gibson is unable to catch up with someone who's carrying Joe Pesci on their back across an ice rink, <laughs> which I don't know how that how the physics of that work. But uh, this is where, uh, sadly, Leo gets injured, and yes. the whole audience feel, feels sorry for him. He gets um, shot in the hand, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he tells. He's, he's in Murtaugh's arms. He says, I feel cold. The end is coming. And Roger's like, Leo, you're on the ice. That's why you feel cold. You're on the ice. It's so and he just funny. gets up and walks off the ice rink. Uh, and uh, Travis escapes. Mel, Mel oh, couldn't great. catch up with him. But yeah, it's, it's a wonderful scene. It's a wonderful yeah. scene. Really uh, well so done. So yeah, they can't get Travis too early in the plot because otherwise that wouldn't work. Um, and Travis is um, going to have to complete. It's basically, I always call this the arms dealer. Uh, there's like a three stage to an arms dealer in every action movie you've ever saw. And this one I, it reminded me very much of, uh, you've seen Spider-Man Homecoming with Vulture played by Michael Keaton, where they yeah. have an arms deal and it's like, he's got weapons, then he's successfully getting the weapons then they nearly catch him and then at the end the the last weapons drive he does is really ambitious it's obviously going to be a really big one and that's the one he's going to get caught doing and it's the same with travis you've got like he does the deal then he does a deal and nearly gets caught but he doesn't learn his lesson because the last deal is the big one (laughs) yes it's the same in every movie (laughs) it's it's great isn't it the um the the way they, they they use that cliche here is brilliant though because Mm. it's sort of they obviously put pressure on him because now they know where he's getting the weapons from yeah he can't 
he can't as easily get hold of those because they uh, they interrupt one of his shipments, don't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is um, so we've probably skipped ahead a little bit here, haven't we? Because I'm just yeah, I'm just looking on my little synopsis we've, bit. We we've not covered the bit where. Uh, which is the probably like the the more, more serious message of the film, uh, where Roger kills a kid uh, it, in a gunfight. I thought that was after this. Is this before this? I can't remember. Um, I think no. So it's after uh, it's after the ice rink, isn't it? But yeah, because before... Joe Pesci gets left in hospital, and he's like they steal his charts and. Um, Riggs puts yes. he needs an he needs an enema on his charts <laughs> and then puts it back on the bed, which I was laughing at. I always yeah. think this film is a comedy film. I'm going to put it out there. Like I laughed a lot during this movie, which means it oh. must be a comedy film. Yeah, I mean it, they really do. They they play up for laughs so many things. You know, we uh, we we have the line when the, you first sort of meet um, Lorna, and they go they go up to the chief's office. And the chief's like, well, maybe these guys can help. And, and she says, well, all I know that they do is bring mayhem and chaos. And Riggs is like, no, I'm chaos and he's mayhem. We're a double act. <laughs> it's just... uh, so there's, there's, there's wonderful little lines. The, uh, they, they're, they're talking about um, semantics. And Riggs says, oh, I'm always up for semantics. Yeah, uh, I so like that there's, one. There's, there's some great lines. Um, but uh, yeah, so... Uh, we obviously they leave Leo there. They they then try and they're trying to find another route, aren't they, to find Travis at this point? And I think that's where the um, I think their only lead on that is is that the gun that the kid who Roger killed has. I think that's the only lead they have. Oh isn't yeah, it? it leads into the warehouse. Yeah, well the yeah. kid gets the kids. They go for the burgers, don't they? And then that's where yeah. where Riggs sees the kids doing what he thinks is a, de- a drug deal. So he goes to bust the kids up and makes his presence known and then gets shot at and finds out that the kids have got semi-automatic weapons, which is like, whoa, why have they got those? Yeah. And then that one kid shoots Roger and Roger shoots the kid dead. And then we find out it's Nick's friend from school, isn't it? That was the bit. Yeah. And that's like the harrowing bit where... And yeah, and then Murtagh goes on his bender and you just don't see him for like 20 minutes whilst he kind of goes into despair about killing this child. Um, And I think we have a line of... I've got the line. I had it written down somewhere here. Um, I'll see if I'll find it. He's like, yeah, that kid was a killer, Rog. That wasn't a tinker toy in his hand. That was a machine gun pistol with twin carbies and all the trimmings, man. He would have drilled you. Me, anybody that came along. You had no choice. <laughs> yeah. It, it's. I, I like the way it's done because you can see how... I, I, You can just see what a good actor Danny Glover is. Yeah, it's great. Because uh, obviously, up until this point, the person who's been most emotionally traumatised throughout the first two films it's, it's Riggs, Riggs. Yeah. yeah and that was like Murtaugh's sort of trial by fire as it were it's his it's his uh, crucible that he's going through it's really really well done it is well done um, I think it's really good and I like that we he rings Dar- he rings Darlene Love's character he rings uh, is it Tracy the wife um, and yeah. she answers the phone and she goes ah shit and puts the phone down and that for me in filmmaking is just enough it's such a good little scene and you know yeah. that Roger's gone. He's not at home because we've seen his wife and kids and we know he's not with Riggs. So we're like, where the hell is he? And he disappears yeah. for a large chunk of the movie then. And that's when uh, I think Riggs and Lorna go to investigate the um, the gun warehouse um, because that's when Lorna shows Riggs how much work her and internal affairs have done on trying to find these weapons and whoever's trading them. And they know it's yeah. Travis, but they can't catch him in the act. And they need to stop the weapons from getting out onto the streets to stop these kids getting in trouble. So there's a whole lot of things happening. And, and I really like that. That I always think with action movies, you can sometimes lose your way here a little bit. And this film doesn't. It, it does a very good thing of kind of going down like a roller coaster. It kind of dips for a bit with the kid being shot. And then it comes straight back up again afterwards. 
Um, we have the bit that uh, we forgot to talk about the fact that Riggs isn't allowed to smoke in this film. So every time he lights a cigarette, <laughs> every time he lights one, Roger whacks it out of his hand or whatever. Um, yeah. And then he gives him the dog biscuits to eat. <laughs> and then he becomes addicted to dog biscuits. And you think, what a stupid thing to give him. That doesn't even make sense. And then there's the scene with the big dog. And my yeah. mis- I watched it with Natalie, my wife, and she was like... When the dog comes up to him, he's like, oh my God, what do we do? He's like, don't move, don't move, just stay still. And then that's like, oh, he's got the dog biscuits. And I was like, ah, oh, that works. <laughs> so it's, it's so good. It's joyous. <laughs> I, mean, I love that bit because there's a great quote from Riggs where he's like, oh, I can't shoot a dog. People, yeah, sure, but not a dog. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? That's exactly how you feel. <laughs> and then uh, Riggs becomes friends with the dog and then the dog becomes his friend and they have a little bond, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, I really like that dog. It's a good actor. It, it's great. It's obviously we in the in the theatrical release we don't see Riggs's dog Sam, but apparently no. there is there is a cut scene that exists apparently where he's sat in his trailer with both dogs watching the Three Stooges. Ah, oh, that's wicked. <laughs> Which I'd love to see put back in. I don't know whether it's in the director's cut or whatever, but I'd love to see that scene. Yeah. Because apparently it's just him and both his dogs now. Because, um, oh yeah, it's great. Uh, that dog's wicked. And they obviously, they they discover the, the remainder of Travis's sort of cache of bullets and weapons mm-hmm. and basically just drive off with them, don't they? They nick them in fr- right from underneath everyone's yeah. nose because that, that's where you... <laughs> You first see Lorna's such a badass. She nearly drives away, leaving Riggs there. And then they nearly drive away, leaving the dog there. And then they stop for the dog, yeah. Yeah. So that's a nice throwback to when they stop for Sam in the second film. Yeah, when when the the uh, thing's being blown up. The the trailer's being blown up. So, yeah. I love that. I love the... uh, I love that animal rights is big on uh, Donna's mind. Can't leave yeah. the dog behind. No, he does like animals, and we've talked about that before. Um, yeah, and then we find Danny Glover later on the um, boat in the boat scene, um, which yeah. is one of the arguably the best scenes in the film because it's where he has to get Murtar back on side and get him confrontive about about um, about Daryl who was shot. Yeah. Um, and I really like. I really like that scene. And then there's a bit where, you know, as soon as they fight on the boat, that they're going to go off the boat into the water. Like, you could almost, you don't even need that. You just know that's going to happen. Um, and then that copper comes and so what are you doing? He's like, we're working on a case of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such good a good line. It's such a good line. This film is brilliantly written. I with think little he gets lines. so many lines in this film, Mel. Doesn't he? Like there are so many. Yeah, it's it's they 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 really obviously they're playing to everybody's strengths. Yeah, in this film, because uh, they know that these these characters have interacted so much that you sort of you you can predict what they what they're going to do, but then sometimes they just throw you this really cool curveball, and it's it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, so they have the funeral scene after with Daryl, and um, there's quite a nice scene because it's somber. And then you've got the bit mm. where the dad says to Murtar, "If you're sorry, find the son of a bitch that put that gun in my son's hand," which I yeah. like because it's kind of they're not they're not gonna they're not ever gonna be nice about it because it's their son. But they're also they know that this is a kid. He's he's been swept yeah. up in something. And this kid was given a semi-automatic rifle with bloody armor-piercing bullets in it. And mm. that's where you start to feel like, oh, yeah, there is a genuine jeopardy here. There's a danger. And then there's that bit as well where they go to the gun range together. Do you remember? And then they're shooting. Yeah. And Riggs is like, you've seen this before? Well, watch this. And they shoot from like 30 meters away. And it goes straight through the armor and straight through the back of it. And he's like, that'll go through the armor, through the policeman and straight out the back. And it'll kill yeah. everyone that comes into contact with it. And it's like... Oh, right, okay, so the stakes have never been higher from that perspective, which I thought was really good. Yeah, no, it, it's, it, it puts everyone at risk, doesn't it? And mm. uh, you, you're introduced then to the, the young police officer that volunteers for yeah, everything. Yeah, Edwards. He's really, really keen. And, <coughs> and when they work out where Travis is getting these weapons from, 
they're actually still at the police station, aren't they, at that point? Mm, and he's yeah. the first one to volunteer. So they, they follow down to, I assume, where they keep all these weapons. Because um, Travis has kidnapped the captain at this point, hasn't he? He's kidnapped. Oh, yeah. When he was outside in the police car, he kidnaps him, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 And they so that's, that's how he gets back in. Because obviously he needs to replenish all these weapons that uh, Lorna and Riggs have nicked off him. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he uses the captain's access card and they see that the uh, information about the weapons has been accessed remotely yeah, and yeah. Uh, follow him down, don't they? So that, that's where they, they uh, follow him down and they see that, unfortunately, two police officers have been killed and, and he's raided. Had, yeah, he's raided the weapons, yeah. and they're going to take them. They take them down. They take them down to the subway level because they have access to the subway, don't they? Underneath that. Building. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a subway underneath the building, and they have the weirdest looking truck that's also on subway rails. That I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. It's really cool though, because like there's a bit, isn't there, when they're chasing it down the subway. It, yeah. it comes out of the subway onto the streets of LA, and then its normal wheels come down, and its little track wheels go up and it just becomes a car. I was like, that's amazing. That's so intuitive. That's just ingenious. I don't know if that exists, but it's one of those things like you see some gadgets on Bond films that seem sort of plausible, like they could exist. Yeah. I don't know if that's like a film thing or if that actually exists. I hope it exists because it is very cool. It kind of reminded me of Back to the Future where they stuck the um, train wheels on the DeLorean in the third one, you know, so they could push it with the train behind it. Yes. uh, Off the top of that ravine. So yeah, it kind of had a it had an air of that about it. Um, I liked. I think it was really good. And then they have the really good chase. That chase does go on for a long time. I felt like you've got the arm piercing bullets. You've got the um, workers showing Briggs and Murtaugh which way you went. Then they have the yeah. bit where Riggs chases after the train car van thing. Yeah. Uh, Edwards gets shot, and I think Edwards gets killed, doesn't he? The rookie. He does. <clears throat> Uh, Edwards get killed. I think the captain actually kills somebody. It's the only time that he kills anybody mm. in these films. Yeah. Uh, so the captain kills someone. So there's a. It's it's quite a, a cool but very fast gunfight, and then Riggs again chases that car on foot. He does a lot of chasing cars on on foot in these films. Yeah. He's, <laughs> Never really works, does it? N- no, no. Um, he he then steals another police officer's motorbike, doesn't he? Yes, and yeah, he asks him for it, and then they chase him down. Then Travis gets away again uh, yeah. on the on the motorway, and then we get the final scene, which takes place in the construction site where Travis is. Is it some sort of housing estate he's building? I think. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's sort of like his retirement plan, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like that a shell company. Estate. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and uh, yeah, so they uh, they they figure out where where his re- you know. A housing company is and uh go and pay him a visit uh and initially they're they're just uh they're just there with a, a couple of weapons aren't they? they haven't got much there but lorna turns up with some more yeah. firepower uh and they he drive he drives base... that bulldozer into the building which was a massive um james bond ripped that off i remember thinking because i remember in one of the bond films is it i think casino royale where he's chasing a bomber and he yeah. and the bomber's looking for Bond, and all of a sudden a big JCB just drives into the building and just takes everything out. Um, and yeah. that was a really cool bit that they did in this, where Riggs just sets the uh, JCB thing going, and it just plows into Travis. Yeah, it's. I, I love that um, in the gunfight. Basically, he siphons out some petrol from, <laughs> yeah. from this thing and, and gets uh, Murtaugh to light him up as he goes around and basically burns the entire plot down. Yeah. Um and uh there's that scene where you see like curtains open and you can see the reflection of all the buildings on fire in front of Travis's face. Yeah. So you can see what's going on and see his reaction to it. It's such a cool shot. Mm, yeah, it is. You can see how angry he is because not only have these guys been messing with his operation all the way through, they're now actually at his home as it were, burning the place down. Yeah. Um and uh, yeah, uh, Murtaugh's there with the gun that was used by the kid he killed. Yes. So he's taking out all the bad guys with that same gun, and he finds um, a magazine of armor-piercing rounds. Uh, 
So the weapons that these guys were using against the police get turned on them. Yeah, I, doesn't I, I he shoot? He's quite good. They shoots Travis through the JCB thing, the big truck, doesn't he? And it goes through yeah. the metal, through the through the cab into into thingy. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It's clever. It was it was really good. And it's it's again they they're so good at this in these lethal weapon films. When the bad guys get it, it feels so satisfying because they're yeah. such scumbags. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah they are. So it, it's it, it's not like it, it. Sometimes you watch a film and the endings really it feels really lightweight because you just you're not that invested in the bad guy. But these films, you think because. In comparison to the other films, Travis actually isn't in this all that much. No, but he's a really evil bad guy because he was a good guy. He was a copper. So it feels yeah. like it feels even worse than the fact that this could happen in a real world setting where someone who has that power abuses that power for personal gain and people start getting hurt by it. So I think that, that plausibility of it is the thing that I quite liked about the plot. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It, <clears throat> and, you know... Um, I think he says something like, see you in hell, Riggs. And Riggs says, you first. And he puts his foot on the accelerator and then the JCB goes into the building that's on yeah. fire. Uh, and I really like that. And then you have a nice touching scene between him and Lorna yeah. afterwards, which is which is cool. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, like you said, I think this is my favourite. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it just had... It's one of those films where you set the sort of thing going and it doesn't let up all the way through. There is not a single moment in this film where I felt bored. And there is not an instance where, like you said before, you've said this before, where it's not a film you can go into the kitchen and come back because you will miss something. You have to pause it. Um, And I think that's a testament to a film like Lethal Weapon, that the fact that they've got to the third one a third one for me is usually running out of steam and i said it's about a lot of movies and this one felt the opposite it felt like it was rejuvenating the franchise by not necessarily doing the same thing again but but doing something that had the similar vibe to the original two paying homage to those and being a better more up-to-date action film it kind of felt like Mm. the action film that starts all the action films we've got since this because they all follow a very similar pattern and it's that high octane um chase and the explosions and the quippy and the one-liners and the comedy character like you've got everything's there and it feels slightly like it came before everyone else like we said that about lethal weapon one didn't we that like yeah. It felt like a film that had invented its own franchise, invented its own genre. And this I, one does that again for me. I would agree with you. I think uh, a lot of the things that I like about, say, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark feel like they come from Mel Gibson's Martin Riggs. Totally. Like the, yeah. the fast quippiness. Uh, it's. Uh, I think... Danny Jr. and Mel Gibson have always had a lot of respect for one another. They've starred in a couple of films alongside one another. Yeah, and, I think he paid uh, he paid him out of um, out of prison, didn't he, in the nineties? Yeah. I believe if you can look into that. But I think Mel Gibson was there when Robert was at his lowest point. Yeah, yeah. So I think that they they are obviously they do have a lot of respect for one another. But you can see that they're very similar actors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I think. That's one of the things that I loved most about Marvel was Tony Stark, and it's what I love about Lethal Weapon is, is Martin Riggs. I think it's it's just perfectly written for the actor playing him, yeah. and some of it I think is because certainly in the next film, most of the very fast quippy dialogue I think is ad lib. Yeah. So that uh, so I think in this film it, it's quite scripted still, but. They they got to the point I think with film four where they could pretty much be those characters, and make the script up on the hoof almost in terms of the dialogue between them because they were that good at being Riggs and Murtaugh at that point. Um, mm. Just uh, it's just they they they're perfectly cast and the film is perfectly paced. It's, it's funny like that you it? yeah it's funny that you made that comparison between the Iron Man character because I I remember thinking like Shane Black obviously did Iron Man three. And Iron mm. Man 3 is kind of the Marmite, our Marvel film, because people that loved Lethal Weapon, like me and you, and, and like a lot of people of our age group, I think mm. they really liked 
Iron Man 3 because of the fact that it was so different to anything Marvel had done before. And Marvel got that thing of doing, they did like Guardians of the Galaxy and it was completely wayward and it got a big following, a cult following as a result of how weird it was. And then you did Iron Man 3 on the back of doing two Iron Man films before and it's a totally different film to Iron Man 1 and 2. But I like the vibe. It's got a very Lethal Weapon vibe about it and this felt like that. With, With Lethal Weapon 3, I felt like the second one kind of trudged similar ground and didn't really give me much more that I needed. I felt like, yes, it was a very nice sequel, but it wasn't, it didn't yeah. feel like it was that different. Whereas this one felt like they just completely went all in on the uh, on the action and all the fun kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it's kind of like, like you say, it, it's, it's a blueprint that a lot of other films followed. If you think mm. about Die Hard 3. Totally, yeah. It, it's, it's a similar sort of shift. Yeah. Yeah, like Die, Die Hard, Hard Die Hard One's amazing. Die Hard Two, meh. Die Hard Three, meh. wow. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it, it's very very cool that those early nineties, so late eighties, early nineties franchises, kind of had a lot of the same people working on them. It seems and and followed similar formulas, and we still have that in a way. You know, a lot of the Marvel films have the same people working on them and follow similar formulas. Yeah, and we we end up with with similar results where you get sort of almost like a TikTok of good film, meh film, great film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, uh, you know, if you look at Thor, for example, uh, yeah. good film, meh film, great film. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's uh, that. It's it's interesting that the movie industry hasn't moved on from that sort of <laughs> pattern all, all these years later. But this uh, this is, I think, I can say my favourite so far of the Lethal Weapon films. I want to, um, before we, uh, before you do your five facts, just turn our attention to a few quotes that are curated um, from this oh, movie. Good. Um, because I said, you know, one of the greatest things about this film is its script. And I think that can be said about all the Lethal Weapon films so far. But this, uh, I love. This is These are the quotes from the movie. Um, Lorna to Riggs. Are you trying to bait me, Riggs? I'm a master mm-hmm. of it. Now that I can believe... <laughs> <laughs> yeah how good is that line um it's great <laughs> um and then there's the uh where is it i've lost it again um this is one you said to me um that's not close close as a lingerie shop without a front window <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what uh, I, I i'm not going to include this in my five facts but i have a fact about that yeah that's right uh, she made that up. That that's ad libbed. That's great. So, so the the confused look on Riggs' face is actually Mel Gibson being confused and not fully understanding it. Oh, <laughs> so funny. Uh, we've said the one. What are you doing, boys? We're in the middle of a case of scotch. Um, yeah. And then there's um, <laughs> Lorna Cole to Roger Murtar. Ah, oh, this PMS. It's murder. Yeah, I know what you mean. I've been married for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's just a good line. There's some really cool lines. Um, what is it? Hi, Ernie. Hey, Riggs, you cut any loose wires lately? No, I haven't done that for a couple of days now. <laughs> <laughs> right, next time, wait for the bomb squad. Yeah, I know, the bomb squad. Hey, I saved a cat. What else do you want? <laughs> great, great. I love cats. <laughs> It's oh, it is a funny film. It's it's it is the funniest of the Lethal Weapons so far. <laughs> Martin Riggs to Lorna. Hey, Miss, why don't you step into my orifice? Ah, <laughs> oh, it's just there's so many ah, oh, so many lines. Um, yeah. I'll give you one more, then I'll quit. Go for it. I knew you could never stop smoking. I only smoke now to take my mind off my dog biscuit problem. What dog biscuit problem? Well, I've been chasing more cars lately, you know, and I keep trying to lick my balls, but I keep falling off the couch. Oh, thank you, Lethal Weapon 3. That's all I've yeah. got. I love it. That, that is, oh, it's it's a, a wonderful, lovable, quotable film. It it's is? great. I, uh, oh, it's, yeah. Right, I'm going to uh, turn to you for the five facts now before we wrap up. Five facts. Here we go. So, fact number one. Yeah. This this would have been a travesty, but 
in the original script, Leo Getz wasn't part of this story. So he was actually uh, left LA and he'd gone to New York City in the original oh. script. So they, he wasn't going to be in it at all. So they, they literally did write in Joe Pesci, sort of scene by scene as they used him. That's right. So, yeah. So, and it just, he fe- it feels natural that he's there for the scenes that he's there. And it doesn't seem weird when he's not in the scenes. Yeah. Because obviously they, they put him in hospital and things like that. But yeah, he wasn't originally in the script. So uh, they, I'm glad they changed their mind on that one. Because Leo yes. Getz is, is, is brilliant in this. More uh, Leo Getz. <coughs> yeah. Luckily, he returns for the Good. next film. Good. So, I'm looking forward to so. that. Uh, fact number two. The housing construction site was not a set built for the film, but an actual real estate project in Lancaster, California. Huh. The developers went broke before the houses could be completed. No <laughs> way! <laughs> yeah, the production company could film there only after agreeing to tear the site down completely after the shoot. So they just destroyed it anyway because they were making it to destroy it. But it wasn't yeah. a construct. It was actually a housing development that went bust. That's amazing. Yeah. Isn't that great? It's, it's, it's brilliant. And um, uh, an ancillary fact to that, the, um, the uh, marble slabs for the town hall that gets blown up, mm. uh, the, uh, those are now used as tabletops in a, uh, a restaurant. Huh. somewhere so yeah it's an orlando restaurant those those are used as tabletops apparently that's crazy so i love what you find out when you're reading these things so fact number three god they're getting this... better <laughs> they are getting good <laughs> this is the only lethal weapon film that does not feature the villains threatening Murtaugh's family or breaking into their house yes nothing happens to the house apart from they nearly sell it this time yeah um, that but... was good as well because leo does that thing where he's like yeah, loads of things happened to this house. The window got taken down by a car with a drug guy in it, and then uh, the, <laughs> the bathroom's been refitted because a bomb went off in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, so, uh, yeah, so um, alongside that, it's the only little weapon film where Myrtle's house isn't damaged in any way. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is true. In fact, Myrtle's family doesn't really feature greatly in this film, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, and it's the fact number five, it's the only lethal weapon film not to feature a scene where rain is falling. Oh, really? Yeah, it's all sort of set in summertime, isn't it? There's no... Uh... Oh, yeah, I suppose you're right. LA as well is not really, a... yeah, not really yeah. a thing. So the other films have got lots of rain in them. Yeah. Uh, but this film, not so much. This film's quite summery. Again, very much like the Die Hard 3 film set in summertime. Yeah. This, this has a very similar <coughs> feel to it. So yeah, so those are my five facts. I like that. Um, yeah, it's it is great. I can't. I'm kind of. I've never. I think I might have seen Lethal Weapon four, but like when I say seen it, I think I might have seen it on Channel Five on a Sunday when I was hungover or something. Do you know? You just like something yeah. on telly, but I don't have any recollection of actually watching it. Um, Ooh, okay. And I so remember. This should be interesting. Yeah, I remember going into this franchise with you thinking. I'm happy to do it because I know you were really passionate about doing it. And yeah. I liked the first one. And I remember watching the first one. Um, but then, yeah, to, to discover these has been has been great. So the fact that we've on three, and I feel like this is the highlight of my experience with Lethal Weapon so far. I hope that the listeners persevere with us and we'll come back for number yeah. four next week. And I've been doing a lot of reading, James, about Lethal Weapon 5. Um, oh. it, it's been on the cards for 10 years and yeah. they never really said categorically they're going to do it. So they're still they're still waiting on it. Yeah, it's it, it could still happen. You never know. Uh, they are getting dangerously close to being legitimately too old for this shit, though. Yeah, <laughs> legitimately too old. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did read something, and, and there's a YouTube video about it, which I discovered. Um and apparently this is very similar where you can take a lot of third act films, third films in trilogies or whatever, and you can put them side by side with another third film. And they are virtually the same film uh, with the same tropes, with the same um, kind of villain, with the same, um, you know, goals and aspirations, same uh, trauma and the same love story. And this one was between Lethal Weapon 3 
and mm-hmm. the Simon Pegg written Star Trek Beyond. And it's really interesting. So anyone fancies it, if you go on YouTube and put in Lethal Weapon Star Trek Beyond, they are very much the same film. And someone's done oh, okay. a side by side about them. Um, the bad guy used to be a good guy and worked for the good guys. There yeah. is there is something going on in the plot, which is a weapon that's new, that's dangerous enough to threaten everybody that's involved. Um, there is a love story going on with someone who is a badass who shouldn't be like, honestly, it's all there. And it's really weird when you watch two films side by side from completely different genres, but they they interlink so many ways with so many little moments where the characters do the same things as they do in, in both. So yeah, really, really funny, really weird. I just thought it was ah, fun. Yeah. I like that. It's cool. That that that's better than some of my facts. I mean, some people have just got too much time on their hands, haven't they? It's like imagine you sit down to watch uh, Star Trek Beyond and you start going, "Hey, a minute, I think I've seen this." Yeah. <laughs> it had Danny like, Glover in it. Yeah, why why isn't Joe Pesci in this Star Trek film? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah, I really enjoyed that, James, and I do look forward to catching up with you next week with uh, Lethal Weapon Four. Excellent. I think we'll uh, leave it there. I'll, yeah. <clears throat> and we'll uh, we'll see you all next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And as always, do follow us on Instagram. We need the uh, we need the listeners, and we need some uh, we need some subscriptions. So get telling your friends about us. Uh, I am gonna maybe print some posters out this year, and I might do that thing where you know you find like stickers on bus shelters. I might just stickers yeah. all over all over the city. Um, so if you see do the franchise on a bus shelter, it definitely wasn't either James or Jake that put them oh, there. No, no, it was the other guy. <laughs> it's it the other guy, guy that we don't know. We don't know. Um, maybe if you do follow us on Twitter or Instagram or anywhere you can find us, uh, maybe you could message us and tell us the time you legitimately felt too old for this shit. That'd be great. Yeah. I felt too old for this shit today when I was trying to put my light up in the uh, in the porch area, having no electrician skills whatsoever. And uh, you earned man points. Don't don't try and deny it. You earned man points. It's all good. I'm not gonna lie. There was a moment where I was like, "Is this wire still live?" And I did something which I'm not going to repeat on the radio. But um, <laughs> it was it fucking was live. <laughs> assuming jake doesn't attempt to do any more electrical work we will definitely see you next week yes if he does i will definitely see you next week and make apologies i might be ringing in from the hospital (laughs) Uh, all right guys thanks a lot see you later james see you Bye. bye bye bye